Pastor Xavier Reese and the reason we need to pray on today's Simple Truths. It has been said that God acts regarding prayer in three ways. There are some things God does only through prayer. There are other things God does without prayer. And there are things that God does in spite of prayer. You say, well, then why should we pray? Because you're commanded to pray. We're in communication with God. He ministers to us. Pray. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Why does it seem so many get away with so much? Sometimes it just doesn't appear that God is fair. Well, today, as he digs even deeper into the Gospel of Luke, Pastor Xavier Reese clears up a common misunderstanding of some of the parables found in the Gospel of Luke. Stay tuned and stay informed about the encouraging simple truths found in the Word of God. Join us in Luke chapter 18 for today's study titled, Confidence in a Just God. The Gospel of Luke is unique in that it contains more parables than the other two synoptic Gospels, Matthew and Mark. Luke has 20 parables in his Gospel. Matthew has 16, and Mark has 5. Now, many of the parables of Luke are unique only of him. This text that we're going to look at, the unjust judge, is one of them, only recorded by him. So he's very unique in the way he, the Holy Spirit has allowed him to put his Gospel together. So what we want to do is study the parable of the unjust judge here through a threefold lens. Let me read our text, 18, 1 through 8. He says, Then he spoke a parable to them, and that man always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying there was a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God nor regard men. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterwards, he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this woman troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? The parable of the unjust judge unfolds for us in three movements, or you can look at it through three lenses. First, we want to look at the context of the parable. Context is always foundational. Notice the parable is um, a continuation of the previous chapter. The chapter of division is most unfortunate because often the parable is divorced from this context of the second coming. That's the context. Jesus has warned in the previous chapter, in chapter 17, verse 22 and 26 and 27, he's told his disciples, warned them about the second coming, that it would be like the days of Noah, it would be life as usual, and then the judgment came. And so he's still talking to his disciples. It's still the context of the second coming, and we'll point this out even in in the verses ahead of us. The parable was spoken to illustrate then a specific truth about the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's the context, okay? So you've got to be a good spiritual hound dog to stay on the trail. Don't go up rabbit trails. When you get little words and ping, they want to shoot you off. Stay on the trail. 
All parables, as you know, they either do one of two things, compare or contrast. That's all they do. All parables have one punchline, one truth being taught. It can be in a verse. It can be in two. It'll be real evident. It'll stand out. This parable usually is taught that you need to be persistent in prayer to have God answer. It's wrong, and I'm going to show you. Okay? The parable has to do with prayer at the time of the second coming then. Look at the second part of verse 1. That men always ought to pray and not lose heart. The Lord Jesus himself stated the context of the parable was the second coming. Look at verse 8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? That's the second coming. All right? So stay on the second coming. That's the context. Jesus said those saved during the seven-year tribulation are to be praying, looking for the second coming. Now, certainly we're praying, looking for the Lord coming for us in the rapture, but we also know that he's coming in the second coming. We're coming back with him, okay? So the personal responsibility is indicated by the phrase, always ought. It's not a suggestion, a command. Christians are to pray. This is our obligation. This is our duty. This is our, should be our desire to seek the Lord constantly. Notice the word always. It means at all time. You may think it's irrelevant, but it's key to the scripture and the parable because of the wrong interpretation. The word here always has the idea and intent not of persistency, but rather constancy and use by the father of the prodigal son for the other son. He said, son, you are ever, there's the word, with me, Luke 15, 31. Doesn't mean he was with him persistently. It means constant. Okay? Now, this indicating a manner and character of lifestyle. Praying to God. Depending, having confidence in him. The Jews pray three times a day. So we as Christians should be praying all the time. Again, the context is for those waiting for the coming of Christ. We certainly can... Um, teach the principle for all Christians to pray constantly, but the context is for the tribulation saints. So in principle, yes, we're to do it, but the context is very, very specific. The warning is clear by the word of Jesus. If they pray constantly, they will not lose heart and be discouraged. If they do not pray constantly, they will lose heart and be discouraged. Again, in principle, we can apply it to all believers, but the context is the specific time of the tribulation period. The context of the parable is the second coming. Very clear. Notice, secondly, we have the content now of the parable. Verse 2 and 3, there was a certain city, a judge, who did not fear God nor regard man. This judge didn't care for doing justice for man. Then the protagonist is presented by her destitute and injustice in verse 3. The widow had no husband to provide or protect her. It says, and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. The word justice means Vindicate me. 
to vindicate one's right and rectify the wrong done to her. This is what she's pleading, what is fair and just. The imperfect verb indicates that she kept on coming repeatedly, by the way, and repeatedly he ignored her case, and he would not for a while that he refused to right the wrong that was done to her. Notice the judge began to feel the pressure and anxiety of the widow's persistency, causing them to reflect on his first decision. But afterwards, he said, within himself. The judge considered the unyielding determination of this widow and spoke to himself silently. You've done that. I've done that. Most of the time, it's not good to talk to yourself. You're not good company. It's better to talk to God, okay? Because you give yourself some crazy advice. (laughs) There was only one option left here. He's already tried the one. The judge noticed, declared to himself that the reason he would get justice for this widow was not due to his change of mind about God or man. Though I do not fear God nor regard man, he still believes the same. But because he loves himself, he doesn't hold to his principles or whatever. If it's inconvenient, we just kind of just close one eye and do it. Who cares? The fear of God was not his motivation or reason for getting justice for this widow. He says it clearly. The care of this defenseless widow was not his motivation or reason to correct the injustice done to her. He says it clearly. Notice the judge declared to himself the reason he would get justice for her was that he, ready, cared for himself. He had reached the end of his patience, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. She was quite a lady. She just kept coming. She would not go away. Notice thirdly, you have the contrast of the parable, which is the correct interpretation. The common and usual interpretation of the parable is wrong. They make it a comparison. They make the judge to be God. All that the judge is, God is not. All that God is, the judge is not. The judge did not fear God nor regard man. God commands fear and regards the best for man. The judge used his power and authority to care for himself. God uses his power and authority for the care of sinners and the oppressed and the destitute. The judge is bound by his sin nature, used only for his own interest. God is bound by his perfect nature and attributes for the interests of others, sinners and saints. The widow was persistent in her asking, therefore, They say the parable teaches the believer must be persistent in prayer for God to answer. Well, look at verse 5. Yet because 
This widow troubles me. I will avenge her, lest by her continued coming she wearies me. To make God out to be one who must be pestered to do what is just charges his holy justice. So you have to pray to God to remind him or to force him to punish evil? It's silly. But everybody teaches it. Most, 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 most majority of people teach that. It's much like the parable that um, we saw in chapter 11, verse 5 through 8, where the, uh, the man's friend comes at midnight and asks for bread, and he didn't want to get up. And the majority of people teach that's also persistency in prayer. Keep on knocking. It's not. It's a contrast. If you make it a, a comparison, then you make God out to be like that man. God is reluctant. He's hoping you go away. Are you willing to accept that interpretation? Of course not. They're both comparisons. God will lack justly without anyone having to pray for perfect vindication. The correct interpretation of the parable is given by our Lord Jesus Christ himself, so there can be no mistake here, verse 6 through 8. The Lord Jesus pointed out the key. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust said. Not what the woman said. Not the woman's persistent words. Nothing but the words the judge said to himself that he would do justice for her. His motive is irrelevant. It's the fact that he did justice. He vindicated her. The Lord Jesus gave the punchline, making the application in seven. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bear long with them? The question is a rhetorical one. There is only one possible answer. Yes, God will avenge his own elect, for he is righteous. The judge was unrighteous. God is just. The judge was unjust. The parable points back to the previous chapter as we have shown to illustrate the just and certain vindication of his elect in the great tribulation waiting for the second coming. Chapter 17, 22, and 24. Some of the elect will be praying confident and constant day and night to him even though God bears long with them. I say some because the end of the last verse will show us that not all. Though all evil is not dealt with by God immediately, none will escape the evil done to believers in the great tribulation. God will execute perfect justice. Not that they keep on asking as if God was unwilling and needed to be persuaded, as if he was reluctant to listen. No, never. Listen to the words of G. Campbell Morgan. They're excellent words. So Christ is saying, we ought always to pray, and when we pray, there is no need for us to keep on as though God were unwilling to listen. He is always listening. In his words, lay the emphasis on the word, always pray. Not words necessarily, not words at all, but on attitude of life, always to pray. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not to pray persistently about a matter. But in this context, that's not what it's teaching. Are we clear on that? Okay? There are other 
principles that teach us that, okay? The Lord Jesus confirms the punchline and reveals the ungodly character of his second coming when he comes. Verse 8, the beginning. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Jesus reiterates he will avenge those who have accepted him during these seven-year tribulation. And again, the focus towards the end there is coming. The manner is said to be speedily, suddenly. The same word is used in Revelation 22, 6, the last chapter. He appears suddenly, speedily. Jesus revealed the ungodly character on the earth at his second coming. Listen, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? One last rhetorical question here. The answer is no. No. This points back to the end of the previous chapter. He's still talking to his disciples. As he had been telling them about the time of distress. Jesus did not say that there will not be faith, for there will be many to be saved. There'll be a great revival. But rather... A particular faith, those who confidently believe God will avenge his people. This is the faith the widow exhibited. Are we clear on this? This is confirmed by the article that is found. The faith on the earth, the one exhibited for vindication. That's what he's talking about. Because during the last seven years, specifically the last three and a half there's a lot of people going to be saved. Many are going to die. But faith that is confident, believing that God will vindicate will be rare, Jesus said. Now, you're going to fault him? He's God. <laughs> He's telling you what's going to be happening at that time. The implication being this kind, again, will be rare. It has been said that God acts regarding prayer in three ways. There are some things God does only through prayer. There are other things God does without prayer. And there are things that God does in spite of prayer. You say, well, then why should we pray? Because you're commanded to pray. Because prayer is your breath line. It's like breathing. We're in communication with God. He ministers to us. Now, he is sovereign. Some things he will not do apart from prayer, some through prayer, and some in spite of prayer. Then how do you know when to pray? Don't worry about it. Pray. Until God says, stop praying. He did that to Jeremiah. Don't pray for these people anymore. Okay? Now, if you're a Calvinist, let me throw a monkey wrench in here. <laughs> you believe that everything is decreed by God. There's nothing that can happen apart from the decrees of God, and those decrees cannot be altered. If that is true, then you just destroy prayer. I don't have to pray. I don't have to pray to God to, to, to vindicate the evil. But that's the only thing I don't have to pray about. <laughs> the rest I do. Do you have steadfast confidence that God will vindicate his saints and vindicate them of all the evil done to them? I do. I believe that wholeheartedly. No one gets away with anything. Not even us who have been forgiven. We have suffered great loss in many ways. But by the grace of God, we're able to look to him and own up to that 
and not look back and go forward knowing that he's made us new creatures and that we verify this new birth is genuine because we're not living the way we used to. That's the grace of God. God is omniscient. He knows all things. He doesn't need information from anybody. He's omnipresent. He's all present everywhere at the same time. He sees everything. He hears everything. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's not threatened by anybody. No one impresses him. Isaiah has a great scripture as he challenges the pagans and their gods. Isaiah 45, 21 says, Tell and bring forth your case. Uh, this is a court case, tribunal case. Yes, let's the, uh, take, let them take counsel together. Who has declared this from the ancient of times? Who has told it from, the, from that time? Have not I, the Lord Yahweh? There is no other God besides me, a just God, a Savior. There is none besides me. Bring your case before me. Present your evidence. Tell me your things before they happen. So when they happen, I can tell you, declare you God. No one's ever taken him up on it. He's wiped out everybody at this point. <laughs> We need to pray for those who reject the gospel now in the age of grace and they will be left behind at the rapture. Some of our families, some of our friends, some of our wives and husbands and children, that they might repent and look for the Lord and wait for his coming. Many will be given over to the lie, Paul says to the Thessalonians, which is possibly an indication that they will not be able to accept once they reject during the age of grace. Not absolute, but it's a possibility. We're not sure. Many will come to know Jesus, thank God. But many, many will die under the hand of the Antichrist for rejecting the mark and accepting Jesus. Peter puts it this way, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We have another opportunity to preach the gospel and see people come to Christ. But I'm looking for his coming. You understand? <laughs> I know he's coming. Paul the Apostle told the Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1, 5 through 10, he says, which is manifold evidence of righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and the flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Jesus is coming a second time for judgment. He's first coming for his church. Then we're coming back with him for judgment. The contrast of the parable is that God does not have to be wearied in prayer to execute justice at his second coming. And so this is our study of the parable of the unjust judge, the threefold lens. The context of the parable is the second coming. The content of the parable is justice at the second coming. And the contrast of the parable is God does not have to be wearied in prayer to execute justice at the second coming. Words of our Lord. Don't confuse them. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, delivering a clear and direct exposition of the Scriptures with today's simple truth from the Gospel of Luke. And today's message titled, Confidence in a Just God, is available as always on CD for only $4. And by the way, we'll also be including everything Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together as well. Now, once again, the title to ask for is, Confidence in a Just God. Or you can simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. You search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, Jesus declared in John 5.39. Pastor Xavier Reese and the message behind the messenger next time on Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 